Today's episode of On the Shoulders of Giants is brought to you by Best in Vermont Tours and Charters. Are you getting married and need help transporting your guests to and from your wedding? Or maybe you're planning a birthday party or a bachelor or bachelorette party for your best friend. Or are you a team leader or a small business owner and planning a fun team building experience for your employees? Or maybe you're in sales and want to show your clients a good time during their stay in Vermont. Well, Best in Vermont Tours and Charters provides worry-free transportation services in their 14-seater passenger tour bus. With affordable rates, a comfortable ride, and your own professional chauffeur, Best in Vermont will transport you and your guests to your destinations and also guarantee a safe ride back home. Best in Vermont also features the Vermont Brew Hop, a customized craft brewery tour that visits the best breweries in our area. You will get first-hand experience of why there is so much hype around Vermont's microbrews. So please check them out at bestinvt.com. That's B-E-S-T-I-N-V-T dot com. Or on Facebook at Best in VT Tours and Charters. Thanks, and now on with the show. I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is the podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. My guest today is Stephanie Hobold, a mentor and community and relationship builder focused on strengthening local communities and youths. Stephanie, welcome to my show. Thank you. Um, I first learned about your story through our mutual friend, Lisa Thibault, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am originally from Ohio, and I moved to Vermont in 2006 um, to work with a campus ministry at the University of Vermont. Uh, I did that for two years, and then after that, moved into the community and the youth mentorship. What were some of the earliest childhood memories and formative experiences um, that shaped who you have become today, and particularly with respect to sort of the lifestyle that you have chosen, you know, of uh, being a relationship builder, community builder? Yeah. Uh, good question. One of those things is from my parents. My mom's family grew up mostly low income, and and her dad and her mom were both kind of generation changers. Not not necessarily where economics is concerned, but where um, 
how to raise a family is concerned. So some different kinds of abuses were not uncommon in my mom's family. And so her, her parents were generation changers in helping, and some of those things. So my mom just had these stories to tell about people whose lives are full of more brutality, or more, I should say, more obvious brutality than more obvious beauties. And, and I love my mom's extended family a lot. They're so much fun, and I, and I love hearing their stories. But, but there are some, some tragedies in there. Like her, her best friend was her uncle, actually, who was only a year older than her. He, he died in his 20s just because of, of abuse of alcohol and drugs and other things. And so uh, this, these, these, that, those things that things she's familiar with, um, and, and what does it look like to help people choose differently uh, when you're not shown another way? And then, so I think that contributes to that. And then I also just have parents who were, my, my dad spent, uh, I don't remember how many years, but a series of years going with his church down to Nicaragua and uh, during, like right after the Civil War and they were starting to rebuild. And uh, he would talk about, again, the brutality and the beauty piece. And I was really young then. I was kind of like six, seven, eight. And that stuff just clicked. I just have a very strong sense of justice and things that were wrong. Uh, and this, and this desire to be a part of bringing things back to, you know, the Jewish word for it is shalom, which usually gets translated as peace, but actually is more this idea of wholeness, this idea of the way life was supposed to be. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I think some of, some of that was there. Uh, and I, I, I did get exposed to the idea of community building and, uh, community development in high school from, I had a teacher and she is in Walnut Hills, Cincinnati, and she lived in an intentional community that was focused on learning from the community and that the community has the answers to their own issues their own problems, that the community has the answers. And so what does it look like to build friendships and relationships that would answer uh, some of the issues that that community has, including high drug use and gang activity and other things. So I got to hang out with her a lot. She mentored me a lot. <laughs> oh, nice. So do you, and do you yeah. think that line of thought that the community has its own answers, do you think that works? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I do, well, systemic oppression is real, and it causes some problems, obviously. And they do think communities have the answers, the best ways to serve their community. That doesn't mean other people from the outside can't be a part of that and don't have things to contribute to that. But they're the ones who've been living those stories. They, in some places, Vermont's unique in this way that there's not these generations, uh, like, the Old North End, the refugee resettlement really picked up in the last eight years. There's not these generations of people living in these neighborhoods um, like there are maybe in other parts of the country where they know what has worked and what has happened. They know if laws help them or not. They've experienced various forms of racism and prejudice and uh, 
just downright bigotry from everything from laws to police presence. I mean, you know, today, today we have these issues with, with police killing uh, the African-American men. And because there's this something under the radar that is subconscious. And so how do we answer those things? So I think systemic oppression is real, and it makes it hard for communities who experience systemic oppression more readily to always provide their own answers, but I think they have them. That's kind of a long answer to the question. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it did, and okay. uh, it made a lot of sense. Tell me about uh, the, the campus ministry and what that was all about and then how that evolved to your work after that. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, in college, I was involved in a campus ministry group called The Navigators. And after college, I joined their two-year internship program. And when you do that, they just send you to any university in the country. Um, and so I got sent to the University of Vermont, which being from Ohio, I assumed there was a University of Vermont, but hadn't actually heard of it before. But I was excited. I was like, oh, I could ski uh, in Vermont, and that should be really fun. And so I, for the first two years, uh, met with different students on campus and learned their stories. We talked about life and how to navigate some of the hard things about can about campus life and college life and asking big questions. And it's also a time when people are exploring their own stories and both the, the beauties and brutalities of their own story. And that, that was my, probably one of my favorite parts was to talk about the beauties and brutalities of somebody's story. And then for me, faith is a big thing and, and Jesus is a part of that. And so to have the conversation of how does Jesus fit into both the beauty and brutality piece of things. And, and so I really enjoyed that on campus. Uh, but at the same time, I, I was with just working with college students, which is wonderful. But I really enjoy youth. And I am from a city, and I needed a little bit more cultural diversity, both economically and racially and just interest level. And UVM, that was 10 years ago, and UVM was a lot different then, and it just wasn't, it wasn't enough. And so I started asking how I could get involved in the community at large and where, if anywhere, was there a more mixed community. Uh, and so a friend of mine, Tim Losher, uh, connected me to, to another person and he kind of shared about the Old North End neighborhood and the West Lanuski neighborhood. And then I met Lisa Thibault also and started hearing about folks who were coming through the refugee resettlement system. And, and so I was like, oh, I should see what's there and uh, what some options could be to be involved outside of campus. And so your involvement with uh, campus ministries what led you to connecting with these other communities that were outside of the campus uh, ministry? It did, uh, but in a kind of roundabout way. Before I the campus ministry and moved to Vermont, I had been working in Cincinnati uh, and I, I studied Montessori education. And so I worked in two 
what people would normally classify as inner city schools, but then I, I also was involved with youth who are experiencing trauma uh, through an after school program. And so when I moved to Vermont, I kind of was missing those things uh, that I really enjoyed. They it taught me a lot. It, there was some challenge to it, which I value. And I got to experience a different perspectives of, of the world. And so when I did campus ministry, I didn't, I didn't get that. And so I was, it was something I was missing and so I really wanted. Um, but also the UVM students really care about social justice issues and taking care of folks and making sure that communities feel like they get to contribute positively and people in communities get to do that. And so when I was on campus, it just seemed to engage some of the students' hearts and help them figure out the hard questions they're asking about life. It would make sense to get involved in the communities that were maybe experiencing more brutalities than beauties and inviting the college students into that so that they could learn from others. Okay, and so um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder there. Um, so you right. packed up your bags and decided to give up sort of the middle-class American lifestyle and settled in Winooski. Yeah, well, I started in the Old North End, and then we got kicked out of our apartment, and that's when I moved to Winooski. Okay. They sold our building, and we had to move out. <laughs> okay, and so the, the, the purpose behind that was what? Yeah, so I I don't know if it was all fully about like abandoning middle class lifestyle or these things are wrong with it, but for me, again, the faith piece, it, like God talks about, um, there's a, uh, it's in Isaiah 58, God talks about calling his people, he, the Israelites do not take care of those who experience brutalities, and he tells them that they need to do it, and that when they do that, that those that those folks who experience those severe brutalities, the oppressed, the prisoner, the hungry, that they will be the ones who restore community. And so I just wanted to be a part of that and um, and see what would happen if we were obedient to that. And so so I moved in with a friend of mine, her name's Maria, and to the old North End because the idea was if I'm if we're going if I'm going to be involved with the community, I want to I want whatever the Issues of the community are to be mine as well. And if I live on the hill section of Burlington, I don't have the same issues that somebody in the Old North End does. I don't, uh, the Old North End used to be a little bit different. It's gentrified quite a bit. Um, but, you know, I, I get to experience the school issues. I get to experience um, heavier police traffic. I get to experience heavier drug traffic and also just the camaraderie of being in a community that values neighborliness. So in the Old North End, you have literally the world. And most other cultures outside of American cultures are much more hospitable. And so I get to be a part of this sort of tapestry thing. Um, and so, so, I, so I figured if we're going to do this, I want to move in. And so the question that Maria and I decided to move in with was, what if we moved into this neighborhood and what would happen if we were good neighbors? And that we would do that through presence. And to be, could we be a, the most present people we know? And what would happen if we did that? 
Could you expand a little bit on what you mean by being present and elaborate a bit on being a good neighbor? Yeah. For me, presence can be a lot of things, right? There's a physical presence, somebody's physically standing in a space. That doesn't always mean, though, that their whole being is present. Mind, body, and soul are present. And so with the idea of presence and sort of the phrase that we began to use um, within Youth Impact, the the mentoring program I was working with, we would say that we want to be whole life reconcilers through the power of presence. And what that meant was that we would be people of empathy, that we would be people who were curious, that we would uh, ask questions and try not to assume, but also be open to feedback and open to um, folks maybe challenging our worldview or the way we would do something, uh, which I have plenty of those stories. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so being present in that way and really engaging with folks and then also the physical piece. And so we would do... Um, so after we moved to Winooski, we started doing what we called family dinner. And on Sunday night, we would invite our entire uh, street and neighborhood, basically anybody that we saw, to come over for dinner. And we would line up these tables in, the, in our driveway so that everybody could see us. And, and we would just eat dinner. And so you'd ha- we'd have multiple generations. We would have multiple languages and religions and ethnicities all at this one table and we just wanted to talk about like how can we with great differences but also really great similarities how can we engage one another and be present with one another and so so stuff like that is just how could we be there and my and my job too it um it required me to travel a fair amount and then the community that I was with, we had to adjust them to my travels, but also um, it meant that I sometimes had to say no to doing some things I would have really enjoyed to do because I wanted to be in my neighborhood in case um, one of the kids stopped by or one of the single moms stopped by uh, just so that I could be there for whatever might come up. And so that kind of goes in with being a good neighbor. Could we be as hospitable as possible? And could we follow our, our neighbor who I view is much better at it than I? <laughs> and so could I at least be competitive with their hospitality was my goal. <laughs> I know I would never win, <laughs> but if I could be competitive. <laughs> uh, the majority of uh, people living in uh, the Old North End and Winooski are low income. Um, a lot of them are immigrants. Many of them are Muslim. And so how did uh, a white Christian woman get plugged into a community that isn't necessarily open to many of the checkboxes that you seem to take off? And how did you overcome some of the challenges that, that were posed? And maybe you can give me an example. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's important to say is while I – you know, it's the director of this youth program, and it started in my living room. Um, I didn't do it by myself. Uh, there were other folks. It started with some UVM math students who, even though Maria and I moved in, these UVM students wanted to be a part of being present. And so they were around and building relationships um, with, with families 
uh, in addition to what we were to what we were doing, and they were connecting with the folks that we lived around. And so, uh, so I was never doing it by myself. There was a group of us, and there there are really uh, particularly uh, one other person whose name is Phil Corvo. Uh, we were kind of we were partners in engaging the community for pretty much the eight years that I was was doing that. And so one of those things is engaging like folks from other religions and the Muslim community is I just really actually wanted to learn. And so did Phil and these other folks. And so we would I think I started off at an English class actually helping teach English and uh, just started to get to know folks that way. And my roommate Maria was also doing that. And we would uh, invite whole families over for dinner. And we would make sure to follow all the rules. Um, like if we have Muslim friends over, Hindu friends over, follow all the dinner rules, eating rules, and then just ask questions. And I think that asking questions was very disarming. And I also think that, especially if we're talking about the Muslim and Christian dynamic, I think Muslim and Christians have a lot in common. And that Christians have a lot to learn about God and what it means to follow him from our Muslim brothers and sisters. I really, I, I think that, and I, I have personally learned a lot uh, that way. Uh, one of the other things that really had very little to do with anything we did is we had a mom who was a gatekeeper, I would call and she is not Muslim. She's a, a Christian African woman. Came over through the refugee um, system, but is a citizen now. And when we first started out, she, um, I messed up like a lot because one of the youth was translating, and they would translate to their benefit, <laughs> not fully communicate to me what mom is actually saying. So, which you know happens, and. Uh, but I was, it was, this was early on, so I was young and this, I'm still young and don't know much still, but I learned a couple things. And um, I had to take in two, her two youngest children to the 4th of July fireworks. And then, you know, you can't hear anything. There's a million people downtown and whatever. And, and so I didn't hear my phone. But then we get in the car and I have the kids start checking my phone while I'm driving. And there... It's probably 15 phone calls from their mom. And she's freaking out that I took her children. Oh, no. And we didn't come back, like, on time. So what we realized is that the child did not communicate how late we would be getting back from the fireworks because she knew her mom would say no. And, <laughs> and so we get back, and mom, through the oldest daughter, we have a conversation translating and and she tells me all the stuff how worried she was how I was irresponsible um how like the white Vermont community thinks that they can just come and take their kids to do all these things they don't have to ask parents permission and they don't have to and, and they exclude parents from helping raise their children and she's afraid that we will take her children and raise them without her and I remember being hearing that and just thinking that is the last thing I want to do is raise a child without their parent. But I didn't really think about how she would view mentorship 
and that like if we always take the kids out of the home to go do something else, that that is, is doesn't sort of fit within like her idea of mentorship and that mentorship is more collective community and you're around each other more. So she does that and uh, and I um, just think about how, like how can I learn from because she's the first parent who was straight up direct with me about about how she was viewing the way we were engaging the kids. And so I just started hanging out at her house and asking a lot of questions uh, and and slowly she began to invite me into stuff, but she would also be very upfront with me about how the history I learned is wrong <laughs> and uh, what are multiple ways to engage people and what does, what does it, what is suffering and how, what does it look like to actually lament um, and embrace suffering but work towards its end? And, and so she would talk about all these things. And slowly over time, as me, a lot of times sitting, just sitting with her in her house, you know, everybody is speaking her home language, and and so I don't know most of what's happening. Um, but just being there and being willing to be uncomfortable, eventually I was in her good graces, and she would invite me to stuff, and she would introduce me to all these other women. And, and so she was a gatekeeper, not just to her African community, but the whole African community in that part of Winooski, including the Muslim community. And so as we got to engage with our neighbors who are Muslim, um, one time I was asking a mom, um, one of the moms if her daughter could join us at my house just for dinner uh, with some other kids were coming. And she, she said, and this was the first time I had met her, and she said, yes, um, this other mom, she said, she, uh, told me that you do good things so my daughter can go with you. So this this mom who who at first did not like me <laughs> um, actually became the, the gatekeeper for me. She is the reason that we basically got to engage with anybody because everybody trusts her. She watches lots of people's children. She has even like the the like generational low income Vermonters who are, you know, mostly white, she had one, oh, it was so cool, This one of these kids stay with her overnight while this kid's mom had to go down to Boston for an emergency. Um, so she, she took him in. Like, it's just, she just crosses all the boundaries. That's wonderful. So I think she gave me legitimacy. I think that's really, I think that's really where it happened. <laughs> Wow, that's that's great insight. It's really cool how the mentor became the mentee because uh, I think you probably went into it looking to mentor other people, and yet it uh, sounds like you ended up becoming mentored by this woman. Yes, very much so. Um, and so just pivoting back to some of your influences in life, you're, you're Christian, and so how important is faith and religion in your life, and what role did that play in some of the choices that you have made to become who you are today? Yeah, it's, it's very important to me. For me, this might sound weird, I guess, to folks, but it's very, it's a, it's a daily thing. Um, like, because I do follow Jesus and I, I'm serious about it. And I really trust 
him to guide things and to, to speak and to teach. But he doesn't always teach or speak in the way that we would get. You know, most of my experience of following Jesus is outside cultural wars. That stuff, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I want to know what he has to say about people. And, and that I believe it's that they're a part of, he created them and they're made in his image. And so that they are beautiful and have something to contribute. And that, that idea that each person has something to contribute, each person is valuable. And each person brings beauty is probably one of the biggest lenses that I try to live by. That doesn't mean I always do it. I, again, to tell some stories about where I've not done that. Um, but that, that would be, that is my like hope and prayers that I always view people with dignity and honor and something to contribute. So that, I don't know. That the question. It does, it does, and um, it's it's quite interesting because I had a conversation uh, with with a friend the other day, and we were talking about um, faith and religion, and talking a lot about uh, things like uh, volunteering to help the less privileged or acts of community service, you know, dealing with aging parents, death, marriage, sexuality, all this stuff. It's all at least in my opinion, um, faith and spiritually based. And yet uh, mm-hmm. it's not really, it's not taught in schools or taught in any sort of system. You sort of have to learn it on your own or pick it up from conversations you hear your parents having or see stuff that your parents are doing. We're not really taught about, you know, how to handle death and, you know, mm-hmm. marriage and volunteering to help the less privileged is just something that you you feel inside and you do it and yet we don't really get taught them per se except if you go into a a church or a synagogue or a mosque or whatever yeah it's i it's true i i agree that most things are actually quite spiritual but we don't always engage them that way so the lifestyle that you chose to live as you became this good neighbor, um, how do you create sort of this, um, for lack of a better word, indifference towards what everybody else is doing and how they are living their lives in order to stay on point or on mission? Because I can see how challenging it must be to give up this sort of uh, easy lifestyle that you could have had, you know, and then immerse yourself into this world that must be fairly difficult and challenging, uh, you know, whilst at the same time, you know, seeing your friends posting stuff on Facebook and Instagram, so, you know, doing all the stuff that you've, it sounds to me, you've sort of sacrificed. How do you get to that level of unshakable resolve and confidence in believing in what you're doing? Yeah, I think, I think part of that, again, since for being very overt about me talking about my faith is part of that. I think that's part of God's work in my life is to be dissatisfied with with perhaps some of the, the normal things. And not that the normal things are bad. They're not bad. But, for example, the organization I work for, we did our like national staff conference at Disney World this last year in November. And I was like, 
oh, Disney World, that's fun. You know, happiest place on earth. You get to ride rides. Like, I love roller coasters <laughs> and all this stuff. And it was, and it was great. And then, and I was like, so this will be fun. But then, like, leading up to it, I'm like, you know, there's lots of issues with Disney. Like, I got a lot of issues with the way they portray stuff. And they're not very good at talking about race. They really aren't good at that. They've, they've perpetuated the problem. They don't necessarily pay their workers totally well. You know, there's all these issues and, and it's consumerism and all this stuff. So we get to Disney World. The hotel we're staying at uh, was sort of essentially glorified colonialism. The whole hotel scene was based on Spain's influence in Mexico and its um, decor and, and all of that was the what was the colonial architecture instead of you know, it would have been like Mayans and Aztecs. And and so while I was there, I just felt this tension the whole time. I'm there, I'm enjoying my friends, but I'm in this hotel and my organization, we just spent a ton of money to come to Disney World who does not always portray people of color that well, who does not always think about how to tell a different a different story. Uh, you know, their portrayal of women hasn't always been that great. And so it just had all these tensions. And even when we would go to the park, uh, I, I went to the, with some friends who do similar things to me. We were there and we would talk about, like, how people are amazing. They could come up with all this stuff. Like, Disney's crazy. They pay attention to every detail. And this brick stand that, uh, like, if you want to ride, which creeps me out a little bit. But at the same time, it's super convenient and easy. And somebody thought of these things that's really brilliant. So how do you celebrate creativity and art and beauty, uh, but at the same time call out where things are not where they're supposed to be? And and so we would have these conversations about the tension of these things are beautiful and this is awesome, but it is negatively impacting me. It's negatively impacting my my friends and my my neighbors because they are portrayed often as stereotypes, you know. You're right, it's a small world and it's very stereotyped. Uh, so I think the things that were used to be normal to me are now what are uncomfortable. And I, I, I don't feel comfortable in them anymore. Because I wouldn't, I would have never thought about those things 10 years ago. So now this is more comfortable and makes more sense. It comes with its own set of stuff, but, but to learn from my neighbors, they got a lot to share. You know, they got, people who experience a lot of brutality have a lot to teach us. <laughs> so why is it that we want what we want and what we want doesn't always align with what we do? So I think of like, you know, Disney wants to portray family values, but instead, you know, benefits from consumerism, you know, uh, you have this ideal that you have in your head, but in practice, it never quite happens. You know, what sort of makes a difference there? And the reason I'm asking uh-huh. is you seem to have successfully straddled or bridged that gap, you know, whether successfully or unsuccessfully, at least in my opinion, it seems like uh, you've done a pretty good job at it. Yeah. Well, that's, I have fooled you. <laughs> I don't know if a pretty good job is, is a good descriptor um, in that 
I, I mean, I think I think why people we never we don't do what we want to do is is fear at its core. It's fear, and it might be different from person to person what that fear is. Is it fear of rejection? Is it fear of failure? Is it fear of um, how other people view you? Fear of being misunderstood. That's I hate being misunderstood. So that's my big thing. So even doing even doing this podcast is a is a little like outside my comfort zone because I don't get to control what happens with my information or how people interpret it. But I I do think to choose courage. If if we always allow fear to determine how we live, we're just kind of reeling on on what life has to offer and teach us. So for me, again, faith keeps God's a big part of that and giving courage. And even though I question his goodness sometimes, I do believe he is a good God. And that, that helps give courage. And then having a community of people. And so in Vermont, I had a community of folks that that I got to do stuff with. It's a lot harder to do stuff by yourself than when you're independent, like when you're really isolated. And so there is this team of people doing all these things. So even if maybe we each maybe went to, you know, a household uh, that we where we didn't know the language or the culture, cultural rules or any of those things, and we maybe feel uncomfortable or afraid a little bit because we don't want to seem ignorant, but we should just own being ignorant. That's what I've learned. I've learned own being ignorant. <laughs> um, just, just know that I don't know anything. I've owned, I, I'm owning that. <laughs> and, and also the idea that you don't know what you don't know. And so somebody's got to teach it to you. And so I, I think those are, I think those are probably the big thing in helping move into those tensions and be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So in closing, um, I'm going to ask you a question that I always ask all of my guests. If you could travel back in time to the younger version of yourself and have a conversation with yourself, uh, what words mm-hmm. of wisdom would you say to yourself? Oh. Hmm. I think the embracing that I don't know would definitely be something I would tell myself. <laughs> when I was younger, I thought I just had to know and, uh, you know, would maybe just kind of do the fake it till you make it instead of being honest about not knowing. And uh, I think that would be something. I think the other one would be I don't have to impress anybody. Like, just be a learner. Just choose to learn. Choose to ask, que- ask questions. And it's okay if you look or feel completely stupid. You'll learn. Eventually, you'll learn. Just embrace it. <laughs> it's okay. So I think that goes with the fear thing. Like, just don't be afraid. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. That might be the other phrase, too. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm sure uh, this younger version of you would probably take that and be able to utilize that in a number of uh, situations which uh, you, you found yourself in. Do you have any sort of uh, social media details or email website that people can get in touch with you if they ever wanted to? Yeah, so a bunch of that has actually recently changed um, with with this job that I have now. Um, but I am on Facebook as Stephanie Mobile, uh, and then email wise, um, 
it's Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, dot H-O-C as in boy, O-L-D as in David, at navigator.org. With, uh, with you guys, probably two names. Nice to get a hold of me, so. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really have enjoyed uh, chatting with you and hearing about how you have, uh, how you moved into some of the lower income communities uh, here in Burlington and exposed yourself and made a difference in the lives of many young boys and girls and also their parents and older relatives. And uh, that really is a, a story which is inspiring both to me and uh, really makes me feel like I need to do a lot more to have an impact and make an impact uh, in the lives of some of the immigrant youths who are coming to Vermont and needing to have that mentorship and guidance. So thank you again for for taking the time to be with us. And uh, we look forward to maybe having another conversation with you at some point. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me and letting me share. Super. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. Today is the last episode of the podcast on the shoulders of giants. But don't despair. I'm only taking a break for the summer, and then I will resume a second installment in the fall. To all my listeners, whether you're in Mountain View, California, or Ashburn, Virginia, or overseas in the United Kingdom, or in Japan, or right here in the great state of Vermont, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you, and a special thank you too to the 16 guests who have joined me on this journey. Your thoughtful and engaging and active dialogue and support for all aspects of my podcast have helped me create an experience unlike anything else I could have imagined. I don't know how the next season's installment will measure up against this maiden season, but I have received so many ideas and suggestions, and with the experience I've gained over the last eight months, I know for a fact that it will be equal to, if not better, than what I've already done. Thank you, all of you, every single one of my listeners, And if I have seen further, it is truly by standing on the shoulders of giants. Enjoy your summer, and I look forward to chatting with you guys again in the fall.